0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructor Criticism. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host. And I have a question for you, Abe. Uh, after getting home from work, are you more likely to A, stay in your work clothes, or B, immediately get into something comfy?
1: Okay, I work at a bank. I have to wear a tie every day. Sometimes I have to wear a jacket with my tie. I am out of those clothes and into my pajamas within five minutes. Of getting to my house every day after work it is not worth it
0: so mason i didn't know your answer to this question but i'm gonna pose it to you a or b
2: uh the comfy stuff i'll say that uh you know i i work in a private practice psychiatry and work with kids and so sometimes my attire is allowed to be a little more casual so you might see me wearing like this hoodie with just like a nice shirt and nice pants or sometimes you know even just jeans a little bit so
0: i can for the last i don't know how many years of my life i've been allowed to wear jeans and a t-shirt to work don't care i'm in sweatpants and or sweat shorts and uh like faster than you like it is walk in don't even say hello to the family change my pants first put on new pants i can't jeans are a scam they're a scam they're it's fine. Like, oh jeans are so great they're so comfy they're, No, they're not. They're bad. They're bad. they're, just, objectively no, bad they're not they're not bad. They're fine. I feel like objectively. Well, we're not a, we're not participating in jean slander on this. podcast. I, yet. I <laughs> am participating in jean Gene slander. Jeans are overrated. This is not how I expected this segment to go. But here we are. Guys, I'm so excited to be here with the two of you together as a family.
2: Same. I'm moving something in the show notes so you can know how I feel about jeans. <laughs>
0: You're the best. Uh, so today we have a special guest for our main topic. We're going to be joined by uh former co-host of the show, Matt Kling, co-host of the Smash Through, hashtag always improving Super Smash Brothers podcast on the He's the Game Media YouTube channel. Um really excited he has a recent top eight as well as a 72 finish in the showcase uh for Legacy. So we're gonna be talking about Legacy with him. Before we do that Abe though, you missed last week and we need to hear how you've been hashtag always improving. It is the point of the show and we need to hear from you right away.
1: Yeah, so my always improving for the last couple of weeks has actually been just getting up to speed on Pioneer post Brothers War, post the RC. I did a lot of work in um, kind of helping people prepare for the RC itself, but I hadn't had a lot of time with things going on in my life to be like really playing a lot of games and especially things like the mono green deck um there's a lot that's structurally different in how um the deck combos and how like it's what its end games are and what its plans are in in some certain matchups and i was playing an rcq uh this weekend where i wound up um wound up losing in the effectively the finals of two slaughter i lost playing for the invite um but you know coming in and, and making sure i was really prepared on not only what was different about playing my own deck and how like, oh, now I kill by making infinite mana and stonebraining my opponent over and over again, as opposed to uh, some of the kills I was used to previously. Um, and, But also knowing how other decks that were attacking mono green were doing so and how they had changed and how that changed things. Things like playing against um, Red Black with Misery Shadow or like, you know, what the kind of hands I need and I'm looking forward to beat the arclight phoenix decks that are really rising in popularity things like that i spent much time on and it really paid off uh, in that tournament so
0: awesome any any little nuggets that you want to drop really quickly before we move on
1: um yeah i think that more and more i'm finding that in the arclight phoenix matchup as mono green your best card tends to be Like, your hands that go Oath of Nyssa into Haven and just have naturally, like, a lot of green mana are much, much better than your hands that are very dork-reliant because their game one deck is not very equipped to deal with that. And also, like, even the post board games, their deck is not very well equipped for you just not having mana sources for them to interact with in the early turns and ways for them to spend their early cards to set up for their backbreaking, like, Cruise plus Disdainful Stroke. Turn in the um, in the postboard games or the uh, the like crews with plus phoenixes or like you know it really shuts off their angles to be able to do that. So those hands that normally you might be afraid of keeping in the dark, if you know you're playing against phoenix, are, are much better.
0: Awesome. I'll go next. Um, so I since qualifying for the uh, RC, I decided to dedicate all my time to like other people's magic. Um, really not focusing on myself, and from doing that, I you know I, I was approaching um, arena differently this week. i uh, racking up. I'm up to 13 QPs now, so I'm going to be able to pretty easily qualify for the play-in. I guess is what it is. Um, and one of my focuses to do that was actually to really focus on mulliganing. Um, I find that when I take a step away from my own magic. I don't focus on that as much and so one of my goals this week was really to like hammer in like understanding my own mulligan decisions and why I'm making them. It sounds like, well Spencer you've played thousands and thousands of matches of Magic, you should be able to do that, but I actually think that, you know, something that we preach on this podcast, especially when Michael Hinderocker was a co-host, is that it is the most important free wins that you get, is making good mulligan decisions. like. You make or break what's going on in the game before anything else happens with those type of decisions. And so, really focusing on that, not being lazy about it, because I on arena specifically, I tend to get really lazy with mulligans. So, that was something that I was just working on this week, you know. Um, and it, I think it came across in my deck tech that I posted to the Constructed Crisis YouTube channel today and understanding like what you're mulliganing to, why you're mulliganing to it, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, it, I think this came up recently in coaching where someone actually a couple people were surprised when i mentioned how important mulliganing is um and i think a thing to remember is that it's true for all decks but there are some decks where it's especially true like imagine mono white uh humans and pioneer how many cards do you think you draw on the average game five cards six cards not counting your draw you know what i mean like that's like the top end of most that games, seems you know? like so many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like a turn five kill deck, I think, on average. Well, I, it's through removal. If your opponent is interacting, they just die. But, you know, like, assuming your opponent puts up any sort of pressure. And if that's the case, seeing seven cards is the most amount of cards you'll see. So if your hand really needs a lot of help, it should, like, I think that helps, like, you know, exemplify what Spencer's trying to say. Like, sometimes it's super duper
1: matters, and you just, like, you have to get good at mulliganing it's a huge important part of the game yeah it's it's hard to lose games because you have a bad hand if you decide that you don't want to keep your bad hand because you'll just get a good hand and the thing is
0: is that the other person isn't participating that way that it just the the leverage and the 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 percentage points just kind of skew and like like a like a hockey stick up it's it's really impressive what about you mason
2: Uh, my always spring moment is uh, I've been trying to figure out what I want to be doing in Modern for a while. I, I kind of had, I feel like I understand Modern really well right now still, and I have like a good kind of knowledge of all the decks and like kind of what their roles are and what they're trying to do and like where they sit in the metagame. But one of the decks in particular, while I feel like I know a lot about it really well, I cannot play it particularly great, and that is Hammer Time. And so I, I got the cards recently. I had a friend uh, sell out a hammer time and pick up a different deck. And so I picked up those cards from him. And I uh, just been getting in the streets, just trying to like work on that deck and get better at playing it. So that's something that I can actually have my repertoire where, you know, I would, you know, especially before last week, uh, but, you know, I just would not feel super comfortable playing it in a tournament that matters in the same way that I would about just about any other deck in modern. I think I could pick up and I would, you know, My chances wouldn't be as good as it is with other decks, but I would feel pretty confident I could put up a solid result. I just don't think that's true of Hammer Time. You have to play around a lot of stuff. Mulliganing is, I think, is super important in that deck as well. And there's like a lot of different things I think end up mattering and can matter. And like cards you have to choose to play around. You have to kind of know what people are going to have versus you. And there are just some cards that are like staples of I'm sorry, staples of modern that you have to learn how to beat and how to respect. Like Force of Vigor is like a real house, but it is not a game over it. But it can be if you play poorly, you know. So that's been my always improving moment, just working on hammer time. Welcome to the fold Mason. <laughs> hammer. <laughs>
0: if you want to see some hammers, uh we have an updated version of Abe Stein's future cc token. Uh I'll be dropping in the Discord uh probably before this episode goes live, so nice. it's got a it's got a hammer in it. Does it I like you <laughs> I don't know. How, how big do you think? that is? the hammer big enough? I think the hammer could always be bigger.
1: That's kind of just a thing for me. Is it, that I it think that like hammers are better when they're the big. Hand. No, I, I've seen the picture. I didn't see the hammer. I oh. thought Abe looked
2: like Esper Sentinel in the uh, thing. I thought is, it was cool looking. Here,
0: let me help you out, buddy. Hold on. I'm scrolling up. No, you, they, they, you don't have it. What? I yes, I do. You put it in. I didn't send it to you.
1: It's a it's a new addition to the art.
0: Oh, like, like <laughs> oh, so, this is like
2: not in the sketch form anymore. No, it Okay, didn't. the one that you've been in the chat definitely doesn't have a hammer. That's good. I looked at Abe's for a second. Like, I was like, it looks like kind of like Esper Sentinel. This is really sick. And then you mentioned there being a hammer in this art. And
0: yeah, I now like, I
1: kind of look like an Esper Sentinel with a big hammer, Mason. You sense. look like all my opponents' Esper Sentinels. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that. You look that. like oh, all <laughs> <laughs> my opponents' Esper Sentinels.
1: My Esper Sentinels. Picture yeah. of me without the hammer. Uh, you put my opponent
2: with uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say this other one is you versus the Esper Sentinel she tells you not to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, that's so good. Wow, alright.
0: Oh I'm man. This one. Oh that was that was the that was the best line. Alright, uh give me a second.
2: Hey while we're talking about this my my face looks weird on that, right? We all agree. I think my
1: face looks weird. But that's feel just like cuz I have a mic. I feel like my face looks fine. I think everything else in context with my face. <laughs> yeah, dude, you look like the terminator. <laughs> I yeah, I mean but I'm like a reverse terminator.
2: Yeah. You're like an espersson, which is the reverse it terminator. Yeah.
0: Let's get into some housekeeping really quick, really quickly. Just want to mention our Patreon, patreon.com/ccmpg. This is the last chance, folks. $10 entry, gets you free entry into our event this coming Sunday. If you're listening to this, the week it comes out. Sunday is a half K plus sponsored by GG Lehigh. Up to $2,000 in store credit and prizes to Gigi Lehigh. We really appreciate them. Patreon is the best way to support the show. Getting free entry to that event sounds dope. Uh, and you get free entry to all the events. It's a great way to support the show. You get access to the discord at $25 you get access to a t-shirt Tons of great stuff going on there um, Really quickly before we move on from GGLA because I think they're so great. Don't forget to use the code CCMDG10 at checkout One, you sponsor our events. Two, they got dope cards. Everybody who cashed the last open was like, oh my gosh I immediately had all the cards I needed that I wanted from cashing this event. This is like basically giving away cash. And it's like, guess what? And because I do it in start credit, I don't have to worry about tax implications. Let's go. Boom. Hashtag sponsored. Mason, you look like you're like deep in thought.
2: No, I'm just, I'm just listening.
1: Sorry.
0: Uh, And then the final housekeeping item, we did drop a new swag store for constructive criticism on the website. So go to constructorism.com, check out the swag store, and we hope to see you buy a, whether it's a t-shirt, a water bottle. Hey, what are you what are you picking up? I told you that, that I was gonna buy you two things.
1: Uh I kinda want the big desk mat. I've I've been using old SCG tour, uh play mats as my mouse pads for a long time, but I have a pretty big desk that could use the desk mat. And it would be sick also if I ever, you know, like need to bring over a mat for like some drafting at a friend's house roll out the big cc mat let everyone know what i'm about in case they didn't already know you know that that's definitely it i also uh i also might get the t-shirt i think the shirt is just good shirts are just good advertising who doesn't love a good
0: shirt yeah i that's totally fair i need a new cc shirt all mine are old and worn uh speaking of old and worn mason are you feeling it without the coffee man that mug you know was calling your name before but now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: probably not going to get the mug. Don't have much use for it uh, these days, you know, caffeine free, baby. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably end up getting, you know, the shirt and then got to figure something else out exactly what's best. I might get something for someone as a gift, you know? Oh, there you go. Yeah.
0: Hashtag always promoting with a gift. Let's go.
2: Yeah. Here's the season.
0: So... Yeah uh that is gonna do it let's bring in our guest none other than the king of swing himself the witch King. and we are joined by none other than the witch King himself the uh the man the myth the legend the i don't know like the second or third most episodes of cc co-host of all time some it's got to be in there
3: it's hard to keep track of you know case. what
0: it, it has to be fourth right it has to go literally me mason michael you i would believe it yeah, that's gotta be it. It's mean, gotta be. It's the it's the only explanation. Matt, what though is the explanation for you suddenly turning into like a legacy guru?
3: Um. Well, for one, the challenges online are really good. EV. Um. They are like eighty people, and they pay down to top sixty four. So, as long as you don't drop, you're basically getting half your money back for free. So.
2: So so it's like better than NFTs when it comes to exactly nice
0: (laughs) not hard but you know uh matt you you've actually been playing a ton of legacy you had a uh legacy top eight uh not this weekend but the the previous weekend uh you did you had a seven two at the showcase um you know you've got some five o's in leagues on you know since then you're just like really into this format right now we try to do you know a legacy episode Every so often, keep people that are in tune with the online meta game and and you know some of maybe their local events apprised of what's going on. Talk to us kind of about your recent results, like between those two tournaments, like what did you play?
3: Yeah, so uh, I topped forward the legacy challenge two weeks ago, playing eight cast, um, and honestly, that was pretty uh, a spur of the moment decision on what I was going to actually play. Uh, I basically just drew a drew a straw for that one. I have played most of the decks in Legacy at this point, so I'm pretty familiar with uh, the archetypes and eight cast just sounded like a good time that morning. Um, and then the, just this last weekend, I uh, went seven and two, took twenty first at the showcase with Elves. And that one was more of like a like a passion deck, I guess. i I have wanted to play Elves forever and uh, just haven't really pulled the trigger on it. and that were like the elves list running around with uh elvish reclaimer and i really didn't like those as much but now that they've added like fiend artists into the deck and made it more of a like control deck the reclaimers make a lot more sense to me and i'm just very much in love with this deck
0: yeah i want to i want to separate the two things out because i think eight cast is one that people like really expect like it's something that people we're going to see in their local meta games a lot i mean elves is too because there's people that love that deck but A cast is like i think a deck that people just you you should be aware of it how did that event go for you and were people as prepared for you as i think that they would be
3: i mean just just to touch on this i think that uh the most common decks for people that have never played legacy uh are eight cast and is it delver like for online events it's really common to google your opponent and if i don't see any legacy results i automatically put them on delver or eight cast um or sometimes it's like another stompy deck like moon stompy but um yeah, so with the with the 8-casts uh, tournaments, uh, I actually ended up X2-ing the Swiss, which is like my main signature move these days for any of these legacy events, and my breakers happened to hold that time um, for the top eight. Uh, I think that I played against Delver uh, three times in the Swiss out of seven rounds and once in the top eight, and that's a pretty good matchup in game ones, but gets really hard post-board. Uh, Mostly just because of the card meltdown, it's like the only card that matters in the matchup. And uh, I actually my I actually lost uh, in the top four to the second meltdown off of a Mystic Sanctuary, and that play had happened to me several times over the over the course of the tournament, and I still didn't figure out that I needed to be sighting in the uh, Soul Guide Lantern for that exact reason. Uh, so that that was an interesting, uh, always improving moment for me. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, basically uh, the deck is just about resolving Chalice of the Void, and, uh, then from there you just try to figure out how to win the game.
0: How are you resolving that Chalice? So, like, you always setting on the same thing, is it deck dependent, matchup dependent?
3: I, I don't think that you get to mulligan like that with that deck, like, if you have a hand that has a turn one Chalice, you're pretty much keeping it and trying to just play the Chalice on one. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's uh, obviously there are many ways to cast Chalice for one in the deck. Like you have uh, a bunch of fast mana with all the artifacts and ancient tombs and etc.
0: Cool. Uh, talking about the elves and you talked about this being a passion deck for you. Um, you know, you have the you have arguably, it's a better finish technically as far as record goes to get into top 21. Like, the, you know, you didn't make top 16. I assume that There was a big clump of X2s in the showcase. Oh, a huge clump.
3: X2 went from uh, sixth place all the way down to 26th or something like that.
0: That's, that is a huge chunk.
3: Yeah. Classic magic online. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we probably could have used an extra
0: round really, but. (laughs)
3: Classic RC situation.
0: (laughs) So, so you Uh, had, you had the same record of those in top eight, but like what you you actually sent me an interesting text that you were like, I won hundred percent of the matches where I didn't die on turn turn one or zero. I can't remember the Yeah, you turn it. turn
3: one. Yeah. I won I won every match where I didn't die on turn one. And uh I honestly think that's just classic elves, to be honest. It's so good in any of the fair matchups. Like it's the only deck that I think has like a seventy thirty against Delver. And uh Basically any deck that's trying to go to turn four, you just almost can't beat elves because the thing is their engine is very powerful. It's hard to disrupt uh through really any means. Like you can't really use removal very well because of uh uh wirewood symbiote and just like the ability to just keep playing more of these things and uh the counter magic isn't very good because of Allosaurus Shepherd. So
0: So how did you kind of construct your elves deck going into this tournament? How did it play out, and then, like, what were your thoughts on the format kind of afterwards? Well, interestingly enough, Elves is probably currently the
3: most agreed-upon list in Legacy. Like, basically, everybody plays the same exact 60 and 14 of the same 15 sideboard cards. So you really have, like, one to two flex slots in the sideboard, and maybe one flex slot in the main if you don't want to main deck two Endurances. Um. So, yeah, I mean, the list was pretty stock. I ended up playing... Uh, one elephant grass in the sideboard is my tech slot i don't know if it was any good but <laughs> it would have been no, good I, in the match I, in the matches that i lost but i didn't have it so a little behind the
2: scenes matt messaged me and goes am i just crazy for registering want to register an elephant grass and i go a hundred percent and he's like cool <laughs> <laughs> elephant grass uh, I,
0: I, had the, I had the opposite reaction i was like that sounds like some hot tech i i think <laughs> yeah it's,
3: it's tough though when it's just a one of right like yeah. i don't think you can realistically play more than one you probably can't realistically play one, but uh you know. But if you not it, then, that's then. my thoughts, we're playing one elephant.
2: Grass. <laughs> <laughs> playing it? But no, but I think it might be worth mentioning real quick here. We're talking about the elves deck. It is very different than maybe the elves deck people played against pre-COVID. Like this is a different deck that is kind of carried over some of the same philosophies, am I right?
3: Yeah, yeah. In some ways it's you know, the deck formerly known as elves. Uh <laughs> you yeah, do so still deck, have a lot of the it's same also It's also the, the deck engine. formerly known
0: as Birthing Pod.
3: Yeah. You you still have a lot of the same engine, um, you know, with with uh, the Allosaurus Shepherds and the Wirewood Symbiotes and the Elvish Visionaries and the Natural Orders and the Green Suns. So it's like, it's still got the same core package, but it plays out pretty differently. Rather than being like uh, a snowball-y, uh, play-to-the-board kind of deck, it more tries to control the game until it, like turn three or four and then make a Crater Hoof. Which, to be fair, was already the Elves' plan, but it's just kind of a different way of getting there. Like. The idea is that the opposition agents give you more uh game in some of the less fair matchups. And especially it's uh it's really relevant against Doomsday specifically. Like that's a combo matchup that I actually think you're probably like close to 50-50 in now. Just because they, they can't beat a resolved opposition agent in game one. Like if you just tutor up opposition agent, it's the end of the game.
1: Yeah, I think who is it, Hello Newton, who's done I think the the lines share of the work yeah. on on this Particular iteration of the Elves deck just calls it Cradle Control at this point because like it's using the same inherently like, you know, legacy power level mana engine that Elves uses and the card advantage engine of Symbiote and stuff, but really is just now a functional toolbox, you know, kind of Mavericky deck of I'm going to put into play creatures that are going to control and dictate the game until I find a way to like close on you as opposed to you know, I'm going to cast some Glimpse of Nature and a bunch of mana dorks and tap all my creatures in one turn and find a Cradle it's like yep. a, a very different
3: different deck for sure. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, it does it has a very much of birthing pod feel or like a maverick feel even.
0: Do you think that I mean this is mostly for Matt, but you know, anybody can answer this one. Is the changes that you see, you know, we, we joked that this is the deck formerly called elves or, you know, calling it control. Like, are these changes due to whether it's expressive iteration or whether it's you know, the initiative cards or, you know, hate cast. like, are these changes a direct reflection of the format, or is it a power-up increase to decks like this or decks like Stoneblade that are making these changes happen?
3: I mean, it depends on how you how you look at it. Like, I think that this Elves deck is better against most metagames um, than former Elves would be. There are a couple matchups that got worse, but they're really not huge shares of the metagame. Like, your Death and, ta- death and Taxes matchup gets, like, a little closer to even, Um, whereas it was like a buy before. Um, And trying to think of what other matchups you really get hurt in. The thing is, I think somebody, uh, I guess, uh, what was his name? Newton? Hello Newton, yeah. Hello Newton, yeah. At some point, just uh, tried to figure out how to make the combo matchups better while retaining the things that make elves strong. And I, I don't know how it took so long to realize that you only need like two creatures in play for Crater Hoof Behemoth to be lethal, but... Yeah, I, th- I think that this version is just mostly better. Uh, uh, the exceptions would be like the mirror is probably a little worse. Like if you were playing against tribal elves, you'd rather, rather be on that one and death and taxes. <laughs>
0: awesome. Let's go into some questions from each of us. Um, so I'll, I'll go first and then I'll I'll pass it to the next co-host. But if you were to give people a look at like what legacy is today and told them to go on goldfish and are five decks, which five decks would you tell them to look at?
3: Okay, so I think that Legacy overall can be broken down into like five basic archetypes. You have Chalice decks, um, and those are decks that are just going to be trying to make, turn one Chalice of the Void, and then they can win with whatever means. Um, And of those decks, probably the best one to look at right now would be the Mono White deck. The deck seems kind of (laughs) broken. There's the Tempo decks. Is it Delver being the premier deck of that? Uh, Control decks, mostly Minskin Boo control. can come in the form of lands or just like Uro decks usually. Um uh graveyard combo decks, so like reanimator mostly for that one. And uh stack combo decks. And I think Doomsday is pretty much the premiere of that at the moment, although you do see some actual storm. And then elves be, would be like kind of its own category. Um
0: that's awesome. I think that's a really great answer. I think if you're looking at decks, being able to compartmentalize like that will be really helpful for the listeners. Um, if somebody was looking to play their first Legacy Challenge, how do you think that they should approach their deck choice?
3: Well, like I said, I, I think that the most common choices for people that are approaching the format are uh, Chalice decks or Delver, and I think that that's for good reason. Like. I think that the chalice decks are pretty intuitive on how you should be playing them, although the mulliganing decisions can be hard sometimes. Um, and I think that the Delver deck, especially now, has a lot of a lot more late game power than you used to have. So you can borrow a lot more of the skills that you have from other formats, like expressive iteration and stuff. Lets you play like more of a long game. Whereas I feel like Delver Decks and Tempo Decks of the past, you really had to maximize the first few turns uh, in ways that you don't have to in other formats. Awesome. So the long story short is I would recommend either a Chalice Deck or is a Delver for somebody starting out. That's not true.
2: Speaking of Chalice Decks, you kind of mentioned it there and talking about
3: like the five categories. My first question for you is how good
2: is the Initiative Stompy Deck?
3: I think that there's a lot of good evidence that it's the best deck in the format right now. Um, especially looking at the list that took second place here, like with the the uh six spellbinder effects. Uh I'm not really sure what the best strategy to attack that is right now. Like, I mean I think the elves has a reasonable matchup against it, but uh if you saw the person's tournament report, they did beat elves twice in the first two rounds. So mm.
2: yeah, XJ Cloud for those that maybe in little no some legacies off no mono white that's uh, that player so you you believe it's you know if not the best deck at least top three. Oh yeah definitely yeah easily mm-hmm. um, what about that is so strong in the format if maybe someone isn't deeply familiar with the format, it's getting back into it
3: i think that uh a lot of your fair matchups are really good because the creatures are so large and people don't usually play good ways to deal with that kind of thing like your prismatic endings aren't going to work uh your lightning bolts aren't going to work and uh, the deck actually clocks insanely quickly. You wouldn't expect it just from reading the deck list, but uh, like often their first creature is a six-seven that attacks and it's unblockable,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and they usually are casting an unturn two or turn one sometimes if they're really running good. Sure. Yeah, the initiative
2: um, also is like a fireball mode, right? Where it's or like a lava axe mode, where just yeah, five. It's, it's well, yeah, axe.
3: it definitely increases the clock of the deck too. <laughs> like so, it's like yeah, first mode put two counters on my guy, explore, make it a six-seven. It can't be blocked, and then the next mode is. Lava Axe you. <laughs> yeah, I, like, oh, I guess I'm just already dead. You're You're right.
0: like, actual- this is a turn four win. Okay. I try to get Matt to explain the, the whole dungeon to me. He goes, "Well, you don't actually get past the lava axe; you actually die that turn." So, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. And also, like there are two She's paths done. of the dungeon, but almost everybody chooses the lava axe side. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think through studying research,
2: I'll figure that one out, and I'll come back to this show in a couple weeks and tell y'all why. Uh, but my other question for you has to do more with the gameplay side of Legacy, and kind of maybe how you feel. This is very subjective. How do you feel? How are you liking, and are you liking Legacy more now that we're getting more cards than any of the format from the outside? And that can be, you know, as far back as Modern Horizons one and two, but also things like Cappa Canone or the Initiative cards. Do you think that's made Legacy a format you enjoy
3: more? Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's better. Honestly, I I like that every deck has to play a way to close the game, and they just keep printing better and ways uh, better and better ways to do that. Like Minskin Boo is a great way for the control decks to close the game. Uh, Kappa Cannoneer is a great way for the 8-cast deck to close the game. Um, and then, you know, the initiative creatures are also just great at closing a game. Yeah. Um, well, time will tell whether the the mono-white Stompy deck is actually good for the format. I mean, we <laughs> haven't had very much time to adapt yet. It's only been uh, on Magic Online for like a couple weeks now, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's definitely with decks like Stompy decks. It's like, yeah, there's a busted threat that you can cast for cheap, and then people are going to start doing it and especially when stompy decks are already so much the meta Mm -hmm. it's kind of a a difficult thing to adapt to but um kind of on theme with that it feels like to me as someone who only really ever picks up legacy for the occasional like paper event um where like there's stuff going on because i have the cards it's always like oh you should just play delver like most people do play delver or play like some blue stompy deck because these are generally the best decks And that's just kind of been the case for the last like 10 years of the format that's just oh just play delver it's always the best thing do you feel like these uh you know these releases things like the initiative cards things like minsk and um like change that do you think that's still the truth about like the way the format is that is, is it delver will just always be kind of the best thing to be doing and if you know how to play it well
3: then you're fine and you're good the thing that's really great about Is It Delver is that you just don't have any matchups where you don't have any agency. Um, like playing Elves, like I said, I I lost all the matches where I died on turn one, right? Because there was just nothing I could do. Um, and Delver doesn't really have those. Uh, your matches are always going to get better post-board, which is pretty great. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a strong deck. I, I think it will always be a strong archetype at the very least. I mean, we've seen it uh, go through a lot of changes. Like oh, half the time they don't even play Delver anymore. Um yeah, from an archety- archetypical standpoint, it will always be something very valid to do. Um, and I would say that the advice to just play Delver has gotten better over the years rather than worse because, like I was saying, the deck is a lot more analogous to something you might play in Modern or or uh, other formats as opposed yeah, to like Grixis Delver. I think that that deck required a lot more finesse. Like, Merktide's like a hammer, you know? Like, it works all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot more,
1: in, especially, before probe was banned, of like really having to think about every single card you cast and when you were casting it and fighting over like death rate shamans, things like that. Yeah, death Very, Rage very Shaman. intricate Nears, format yeah. at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um so kind of on that um on a statement of uh you know, it's kind of like playing, you know, like is it Merc Titan and Modern? What are some skills that you think a player could get out of if they decide, okay, maybe I should pick up and play some legacy, get into the legacy challenges. I want to improve. I mostly play Modern Pioneer and Standard because these are the formats for the RC, but I'm looking to get better. What are some skills that you feel like, specifically from Legacy, you like could serve to gain by really uh, investing yourself in the format a little bit?
3: Yeah, so I think one of the big differences about Legacy versus other formats, I mean, with the exception of Vintage, is that a lot more of the deck is uh, air so knowing what's actually important in the matchup is it's it's important in every format obviously right but i think it's really accentuated in legacy um like mulliganing with discretion on based on what your opponent's playing or just knowing what to fight over like like i was saying in the eight cast matchup like game one eight cast versus delver is pretty free for eight cast and then the post board games everything becomes about this meltdown and the delver is just trying to cast meltdown multiple times in one game and both players are trying not to, you know, from the ACAS side, you're trying not to get melted down. From the Delver side, you're trying to, you know, melt them down. So, yeah, I, I would say that the biggest thing you can pick up from playing Legacy is just understanding more uh, what a matchup is about specifically. It's a lot easier to glean there. Yeah, that's a great one.
0: Awesome. Well, I wanna thank you, Matt, for your time today. That's all the questions that we had, um, kind of as a cast. Uh, if people wanted to find you to talk about Legacy, or if they wanted to listen to you maybe talk about other games, where could they do that?
3: Uh, that would be kind of difficult. I do have a Twitter, technically still, but I check it pretty rarely. Um, it's at The Witch uh, could probably send me a message on Facebook. I'm pretty pretty generous about answering anything. Um, and then, you know, it would just be my name. Where could they listen to you talk about another game, Matt! Oh, well, yeah, we can listen to me on our other podcast as well. That's right.
0: You're not gonna say you just can't can't bring yourself to on Smash. 3. There you go. They're always improving podcasts on Smash. 3. Man, it's like pulling teeth. Mason's <laughs> so happy. He's like, this is the best day of my life.
2: Smash <laughs> just not on that always promoting lifestyle. You know, he's just yeah. He's you know, got, got some stuff to work on. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> for real, man. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, I thought that that was a really good segment, and we appreciate you jumping on to talk to us about it.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Bye, Matt. Dude, that was so fun to talk to Matt. I love talking to
1: Matt. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun to talk to Matt. That's the first time I've ever talked to Matt, but I did listen to one episode of CCMTG that he was on before joining the show. Oh, yeah? I was familiar, but yeah, that that was the only time I'd ever...
0: My first Kling interaction. I should have introduced you. I actually had thought that he had been on the show with you in the past. All right. Our Patreon question this week comes from Andrew. He says, there are a million sources of info out there. How do you parse that to find what's viable and trustworthy and put it into action? We actually talked about this. I swear we talked about this exact thing like less than two months ago, didn't we, Abe?
1: Yeah, I don't know. if it. It might have been a little bit further out than that, but... It definitely is one of the hardest things, especially as information has gotten a little more scarce than it was a few years ago. Uh, before it was like pretty easy to say, okay, I can just read articles from reputable sources like Star City Games or uh, or Channel Fireball or TCG Player and kind of uh, figure it out from there. But as that's been more and more uh, decentralized, it's it's hard to know. I would say that. It takes a little bit of having your own opinions and kind of knowing what it is you're trying to learn and then looking at all of the sources of information, looking at who it's from. You know, kind of have to like vet your sources in a way of just looking at what someone's saying and why you know how well they're explaining what they're saying and if it makes sense to you with what you know. Um, and then if you're really just looking for like overall knowledge or quick quick hits, I think that still the content that's out there is good for that. Um, you know, uh, we've had guests on who write plenty of articles, Mason writes plenty of articles to kind of touch on what's going on um, at any given time in formats. And that stuff is good for painting a picture, so to speak. But if you're looking for things that are like cutting edge, I would say to just really develop a content consumption relationship with, um, with some people who you look to and want to play more like or understand their process more i know i've done this in the past with uh kane reinhardt who we had on the show um about pioneers a lot of times where i've been like okay i need to play. i'm gonna play this event like how kane would play um or you know the same with many other people who've mentored me in magic and you can do the same kind of thing it's just about finding what um what really resonates with you and what makes sense to you and what you think is going on
0: i uh when i was getting into really competitive magic this was this was i'm I'm gonna make myself a boomer at the time uh he was not considered the goat but i made myself the self-proclaimed pvddr number one fan like i have pvddr signed tokens i have like had him on this podcast on my previous podcast on my previous youtube channel on this youtube channel like i think that uh emulating somebody that you respect is a really good way to go um But also while you're doing that, you have to understand your own fundamentals and your own beliefs. Otherwise you, I don't think you'll know who to respect. I know that sounds kind of weird, but like, uh, I don't want to throw YouTubers under the bus, but like there, there are some content creators that like their, their content is the con like it's playing magic every day. best of one on a ring. Like that's the content, right? That's it. And if that's not your goal that's probably not who you should be emulating, right? You should look towards maybe an SCG grinder or an NRG grinder that like fits your style or like a you know a pro player. You know, maybe, maybe you wanna be best deck, best player, Mike Segrist, right? Like you gotta figure out what it is that you're trying to emulate and then do that. Um, additionally, I think that this question is interesting because it means that you might, be finding bad information. I think that that's pretty easy to parse At like, um, how do I wanna say this? That there are people in content that you'll see that all all they do is have the third take that is a copy of somebody else's take. And if that is what's happening, right? They only join the discourse after it's done and just agree with the popular opinion maybe that person isn't for you that is a way that i have found has helped me disassociate myself from opinions that maybe aren't as vetted and they're just trying to gain clout but i don't know what are you mason yeah
2: i i, I my uh, sort of read on this question and everything is kind of like how are you supposed to figure out sorry let me rephrase this my sort of read on the the question the situation presented here is like how am i the player and the person who is trying to improve at magic figure out which sources are the sources that are getting like the best information and like how am i supposed to know what is sort of the most helpful for me and stuff like that and i think the truth is is that you need to try and figure out what people are trying to say and less what they are saying. And I will give you an example that was very helpful for me at the RC. So I got to the RC on Friday You know, when I had some lunch, got to the RC Hall. and I'm playing Phoenix and I was talking to a bunch of the Phoenix players there and Ross Marion was there and Ross had just, I think, got third in the SCG the week before the big 30K playing Phoenix. I'm like, Ross, you're playing Phoenix, right? And Ross is like, yeah, And I'm like, let's talk sideboards. And he said, yeah. So we sat down, we started talking and we're talking about how to sideboard and matchups and we got to Rakdos and Ross just said, and I'm pretty sure the verbatim quote is, I would never bring in uh Thoughtseize. I'm sorry, I would never leave in Spell Pierce against a Thoughtseize creature deck. And, you know, he like said it with that and then said some like kind of silly hyperbolic little statement, you know, and we kind of moved on. And um, I think what Ross is trying to say is that like creature decks that have like a large quantity of creatures and a low quantity, of non-creature-cheap spells like the Rakdos Midrange deck, they're going to be able to do a lot of things that make your spell pierces invalidated. So obviously, I'm going to cut my spell piercers, right? Uh, And so, like, that is kind of what Ross is saying. Despite Ross not actually saying that, and I kind of have to read between the lines, right? Where before, and some people still do, to be fair, uh, leave in some number of spell piercers to try and catch things like go blank. uh, But I kind of lean towards Ross's opinion right now that, hey, the deck has so many creatures they can just wait on the go blank. It's still really good on turn five as it is on turn three. And if you go for something tapping out, then they can tap out for go blank. So that's kind of my uh, like real life example. I hope that's helpful. You have to listen for what people are trying to say, even though they don't always say it in the most clear ways and sort of figure out where they're coming from. Because once you understand that, you can understand more of other things. And I think the other part of this part two is, you need to get better at understanding magic as magic and less as like the format and thing that's going on. And I know this is a this is a good example of like, you kind of figure out what I'm saying, but what I mean is if you understand magic on a more fundamental level of like mana as being one of the most important things in the game and like how strong creatures are and repetitive sources of damage and resources, once you kind of understand that stuff and less like Rakdos good versus Phoenix, these things become a lot easier in my opinion and i hope that second part isn't too confusing for listeners
0: i i don't think it is and also like i people always say that my when i give them advice like how do i improve magic i always am like have you le- read free duke's level zero yet his, his full course yet and they're like isn't that like super basic i was like yeah but do you know it all like do you understand the whole thing because like if you don't you're not past level zero yet yeah, and I read it every year, mm-hmm. every year. So, like, I think that uh, we've done an episode multiple times called like "Back to the Basics," like where we go back to the basics and like check our own understanding of the basics of magic. And I think that what you just said is really helpful. Of like, understanding magic is more like is more important than understanding draft is more important than understanding modern or or yeah
1: a matchup yeah. Yeah. I will say too, Mason, that something that I have said for a very long time to just about everyone I've ever like interacted with at a local level, at a you know, another level is that a big and a big thing that I've noticed is that the players who are leveling up their game, a big level up moment that they have is um, the second that I see them depersonalize their magic identity and the way they're engaging with competitive magic with the deck they're playing. And start to just viewing the way that they're playing the game as the big picture of i'm playing magic and like their deck there it's not like oh i'm a Rakdos player and this is the stuff that like you know i'm a thoughtsies player this is all i know how to do and really saying okay i'm engaging with the full picture of it and i think ideally when it comes to content if you had infinite time in a hyperbolic time chamber you would want to read everything that's said play a bunch of games and then see how what people are saying compares to your experiences of the games, and then also look at the results of the people who are saying the things and what their what their thought processes lead them to, and then kind of use that as the last the last sieve. But definitely, it's really important to, in order to be able to do that, because there's so many things you're going to want to learn in Magic. Make sure that you are um, trying to look for those things, the the real nuggets of of wisdom below the actual ins and outs of uh like they're showing they're fishing in front of you and showing you how they're catching the fish you can take the fish and that's great but if you watch them and understand how it is that they're catching fish that's really the most important thing and and that's a big step towards that in my opinion
0: that's going to do it for our patreon questions if you want to get those head on over to patreon.com slash cc meet you patreon of five dollars or more and there will be after this week just a Google form to fill out inside the Discord anytime you want to get it added. And then every month, we'll be doing them after after this month, we'll be doing a mailbag episode to make sure that we get all those questions answered. Uh, next is a small announcement. Uh, you know, part of the podcast is I was improving. We believe in improving things as we go along. One of the things that the YouTube comment or question segment was supposed to do was, increase the engagement of the youtube channel but also uh give opportunities for listeners to participate in the show that maybe couldn't afford patreon right now we're able to do that we're just you know looking looking for a little bit of different type of participation than patreon offers so um we are going to be giving out some of our store credit to puremptr.com one of the sponsors of the network uh every month so between every month, between the four questions that get asked or answered on the show on YouTube, one of them will receive $20 credit to MTGO Traders, uh, allowing you to slowly build up, whether it's your popular collection, your standard collection, you know, all those things. Um, last week, though, Abe, well, you weren't on. We asked, if you were to ban one thing and unban another, what would it be? And we got, we got a response. Why don't you go ahead and take it away, Abe?
1: so the response we got is that this commenter would ban being called Phil and unban being called Kyle which is a pretty a pretty good ban I think if you are if your name is Kyle and people call you Phil I would definitely want to ban that and un, un, unban the apparently banned use of my name well it's like, uh, it's they like also somebody, say
0: it's like somebody being named Karen right like if you were named Karen before the year 2018 your life suddenly became so bad and Kyle has like that similar connotation to it. I totally get where this listener is coming from.
1: Yeah. I, it's hard out there. Sometimes your name just gets memed on. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason just got it. <laughs> Mason just uh, got this I, Okay. Uh, but they also, they went on to say, thanks for another great cast fellows, which it was a great episode last week, by the way, I know it wasn't there, but it really was a good one. Um, I remember feeling the same way that you described when trying to qualify for our first SCG invitational had 10 plus IQ top eights, but no conversion for the longest time just makes the win feel so much more meaningful when you actually break through. Um, yeah.
0: I, I think this is the story that I told about Marcy, one of the local Utah players and how I described uh, previous uh, way back in the day PBQ seasons, but it, it really is. I think that people get too caught up in the W and not enough in the process, uh, which will lead them to the W.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It really is. It really is the best feeling if you engage with it and don't give up, and you grind it out, and you get there. It's really something special. It's what makes making those W's that you get. Because as we talked about before, Magic's a game that makes more losers than winners by a wide margin. The times you're a winner, gotta gotta revel in those. Um, But that does it for our YouTube comment slash question this week.
0: Uh, You can check out the rest of the network, whether it's uh, the wonderful Drafting archetypes by Sam Black. Common Knowledge is coming back. Uh, And then Mythicast will be returning soon as well with myself and Mythic Michaela. Uh, Like, sub, and comment. Leave your YouTube comment. Let us know if you have any questions for this week's episode or for future episodes. Like I said, store credit to mtjoetraders.com. Uh if people want to find you Mason, we're gonna do that.
2: They go to twitter.com at Mason E. Clark and go to Card Kingdom each and every week I got an article Did you up there. Get you can your Twitch... No. Uh... okay, sorry. Uh you can go to twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Uh, you can find me at Twitch there, and you can find me at all of the NRG coverage over on the NRG series on Twitch and YouTube. Doing commentary. So.
1: Awesome, Abe. Uh yeah, you can find me over at uh twitter.com slash more nothings. Uh I'm still offering coaching for hammer time. I'm gonna have a slot taken up probably by Mason at this point. Uh <laughs> Dude, that 412 leagues, baby. I'm the goat. It prints, man. Hammer's just it's <laughs> it it's still really, really good. Yeah, it prints it prints the money. How about you, Spencer?
0: You can find me at Spencer13H. You can find me on the Hazy Media YouTube channel doing the Need to Nerd podcast as well as the Smash Through podcast. Um, yeah. And then I'd be doing deck techs on the Constructors and YouTube channel. Check those out. Just posted one today as the day of the recording. We'll see you guys all next week with another episode of Constructed Criticism.